Hi, this is Trent England with another six questions and uh, glad to have you as part of our Save Our States audience where we're defending the Electoral College every uh, every day of the week, every week of the year, and really excited to have Will Hild here. He is the Executive Director of Consumers Research. And Will, first question, pretty straightforward. What is Consumers Research? What do you do? It's a great question. So we're the nation's oldest consumer protection organization. We were founded way back in 1929. Uh, I was not there, obviously, but... Uh, uh, take the, took the helm a few years back, and most recently, what we're notable for is our Consumers First initiative, which pushes back on woke corporations who try to distract from their misdeeds uh, and their mistreatment of their customers by cozying up to woke activists and woke politicians. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Our second question, you are a vocal critic of what's called ESG investing Explain to our viewers and listeners, listeners what, what is ESG and why is this a threat? Certainly. So ostensibly, the, the way their proponent, first let me, let me steel man the argument, the way their proponents would define ESG is that it is a category of investing, like momentum investing or technical investing or value investing. But the idea around ESG is that companies that have certain values will do better over the long term. The most notable is the E, usually that's the focus of ESG, meaning environmental, uh, I should st stop here. It stands for environmental, social, governance. These are the three buckets of things that they that they rate. And the thesis is that, that companies that have uh, their operations in line with ESG scoring will do better over the long term. So you'll, you'll do better. Um, so let me take E for example. The idea is that companies that are prepared for the supposedly inevitable uh, ramifications of climate change will do better over the, over the longer term. Um, so that's that's the way their proponents would sell it. Let me, let me uh, get into some of the problems with, with that. Uh, one, the inevitable consequences of climate change are sort of circular in their reasoning. So for example, um, you would think that they mean like not buying, you know, if you assume that climate change is, is going to occur and certain, you know, uh, things are going to happen, you think of the terms of like what that's going to do to the environment. So you might like, for example, not buy a, a company that has a lot of like oceanfront property or something like that. That's not what they mean. What they mean is, for example, you wouldn't buy an oil and gas company because you're going to assume that in 10 to 20 years, oil and gas industry will be put out of business by government regulations. And so it would be foolish to purchase an asset that will in effect in their, in their mind, what they call is orphan, an orphaned asset. So like you do an oil well, but no one uses oil anymore. The problem with that is that one of the things that ESG investing is focused on is making sure that those very same policies happen. So it's a circular reasoning that you're gonna do better because there's gonna be these policies in place, but they punish any companies that fight back against those policies being put in place. And really what it becomes and what it, what it has become is a stocking horse for big fund managers to simply inject their personal politics into investing and into corporate America. And so that's why we think it's a, it's a scam on the consumer, both as a retail investor, uh, but also it's affecting the price and quality of the goods and services that are being provided to them. Yeah, I, I remember I was working in Washington State in public policy, you know, it seems like at least a decade ago, and they were talking about this whole question of having some kind of a corporate form where you could be a corporation about, you know, where your purpose isn't to generate returns for shareholders, but sort of like to do good things. I was fascinated that 
that people would even sort of entertain that idea that implicitly, if not explicitly, kind of put, in that case, put government in the role of deciding what are good things, right? And what kind of benefits are we going to give to these kind of companies? Um, Yeah, I I was, I I just thought that was, that was uh, strange back then. And it it seems like this is taking that idea and putting it on steroids. I, I know one of the people who's associated with all, all this is Larry Fink, who's the CEO of, of BlackRock. Tell us about his role in, in BlackRock. I, mean, I think they're a big player in this, right? Absolutely. So BlackRock itself is the nation's largest asset manager. Uh, I think they are just over $10 trillion in management, maybe just shy of that, uh, but somewhere around there at this point. Uh, and so not only are they the largest in terms of the size of the assets under management, the, the, the shares that they control, they're also one of the biggest proponents and vocal proponents of ESG investing and pushing ESG principles and priorities in the boardrooms. And so unfortunately, uh, for uh, corporations who are just trying to focus on making good products and services at a reasonable price for their customers, they have to deal with Larry uh, Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, pushing his personal politics on them. In fact, Larry even sends out an annual letter to America's CEOs, which is pretty, I mean, that's pretty insane when you think about it. Most, most fund managers for, for you know, folks who, who don't follow this, they send out an annual uh, investor letter. They send to their customers what their investing priorities are, what they think is going to happen in the market, just you know, general contacts between them and their customers, the people that they're serving. This is Larry sending out a let open letter to America's CEOs saying, here's what I want you to do. And to be clear, when I say that BlackRock has $10 trillion of assets under management, that is not BlackRock's money. That's definitely not Larry's money. That is America's state, local, federal pension funds. That is institutional investors that, you know, are quasi-governmental, like, um, you know, uh, 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 university endowments, that kind of thing. So this is a principal agent problem. You have Larry Fink and BlackRock and a few others who have decided that because they have been granted the uh, privilege of managing these assets, that they are then going to use them for their own personal political gain or th- their own political opinions. Um, and, and that's why it's sort of a consumer's getting uh, messed with on both ends, because if you're a pensioner, or if you're an investor who, uh, or let's say your company uses BlackRock for your 401k, they are using your assets uh, without your permission. And they are using them against your interests because they are pushing companies to do concrete things that make things worse for you. And I can go into that, some of that, if, if you'd like some concrete examples. Yeah, sure thing. I will make that kind of a question 3.5, because I'd love for you to share some examples with folks of what this, what this actually looks like on the ground and how it, I mean, it, it's a threat to people's pensions, to their IRAs, to their savings. Absolutely. So a, a perfect example of this is last year, BlackRock, which controls about 7.5% of the shares of Exxon, obviously the nation's largest uh, you know, oil and gas producer, um, they used those shares to vote on three radical environmentalists to the board whose stated goal is to get, you know, remember I mentioned that EE and the ESG, their stated goal is to get Exxon out of the business of delivering reliable, cheap gasoline to American consumers and get them into a bunch of supposedly renewable, way more expensive energy sources because to prepare for this supposedly inevitable energy shift. But of course, they're the ones making it inevitable. 
So they are taking shares that don't belong to them. They are putting on boards of directors that are trying to get them out of the focus of the main thing that Exxon's supposed to do. And we are seeing the consequences of it uh, almost immediately. I, I, you know, I thought that when I started ringing the alarm bells about this, I thought, yeah, this is going to be a huge problem in three, four, five years. Well, now we're seeing it almost immediately at the pump. And they were successful in getting those three members on. And, and in October, so, so they were voted on in like May. By October, the Wall Street Journal was reporting that inside the boardroom at Exxon, because of these elections, they were discussing divesting themselves of two of their largest new projects, one in Mozambique and one in Vietnam, that would have brought uh, tons more capacity American consumers. Instead, they were considering divesting um, themselves of that. So that's a concrete example of where BlackRock's misuse of the assets that have been placed in their stewardship is actually hurting um, uh, hurting Americans' consumers. Yeah, I, I continue to be surprised that with gas prices so high, we don't see more people pointing out that to a lot of folks on the left, that's a feature, not a bug, right? They they want Americans to be forced out of their cars, right? They, I mean, they've been they they've been open about that for twenty plus years. So um, it's you know it's fascinating. That I guess I guess they don't want to acknowledge that you know a win for them is a win for Putin and, and vice versa when it comes to American energy. But uh, question number four gets to the the potential solution to all this. Is there a public policy solution? Is it just about convincing shareholders and corporate boards and CEOs to stand up for themselves? Or, or can we do something more than that? Absolutely. That is a fantastic question. So it is a it is a mix, obviously, to the extent you have assets. If any of your listeners have assets with BlackRock, I would recommend moving them. And you may not realize you do because they, are, they have a brand of funds. So if you're in any of the iShares branded ETFs, BlackRock is managing some of your shares and is voting your shares for you and probably voting them against your interest, almost certainly. That's a, a smaller portion of it. You have a ton of public funds that are being managed by BlackRock that I mentioned. And it is pretty clear they are violating their fiduciary duty. A number of states already have laws on the books that require any pension fund manager to invest. It's called the sole purpose fiduciary rule, meaning you cannot say that you're investing for the benefit of the, for maximizing the benefits of the pitchers and something else. Everything after the and is in violation of that rule. And, and Larry Fink and BlackRock have been very vocal that they have many other priorities that they are pursuing when they are using these, these funds. And they've said so publicly. So absolutely talking to state officials, tre uh, AGs in particular, but treasurers and your governor's offices, letting them know that this is an issue you care deeply about. You're tired of having your state's pension funds to the extent they're managed by BlackRock and many are, uh, you know, being used against your own interests and, and hurting the long-term returns for the, for the fund. If you're a pensioner in some of these states, you should be very concerned about that as well. So absolutely, it is a public policy issue, uh, both at the state level and then hopefully at the federal level, we, we, we would see some action. Um, it's rather ironic that you have the Biden administration going after the oil and gas industry saying you need to pump more, you need to lower prices, but they don't go after uh, BlackRock uh, and others like Vanguard and State Street who are also complicit who are themselves restricting, have been restricting the supply of capital 
to invest in more refinery out, uh, capacity, more more drilling, more more um, more pipelines. They've been doing everything they can uh, to allow that, and and the Biden administration is full of former BlackRock executives. Um, in fact, we had a, a, a tweet about that um, uh, uh, just today. So, um, uh, sorry, something kind of happened out of camera. Um, uh, so yes, absolutely is a public policy issue, but both not just at the federal level, but at the state level, it does matter. You need to contact your, your state leaders. That's, that's great. I'm Trent England talking with Will Hill, the Executive Director of Consumers Research here on our Six Questions podcast. Question number five, I've got to work in a question about the Electoral College, but I'll make it a little broader than that, Will. You know, the mm -hmm. left has this agenda to go after structures. I think they're very savvy in this, right? They're, they're going after things at the level of, of pension funds and corporate boards. And, uh, you know, and you see this in, in government when it comes to election issues, whether it's the Electoral College or the U.S. Senate, they're very focused on structures you know, talk about talk about that for us, right? I mean, why is it so important for people on our side to not just be focused on policy outcomes? You know, a lot of conservatives talk about the outcomes, right? Protecting gun rights, protecting, you know, right to life and, and these other things we care about so much. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, you know, if the other side is writing the rules, we're going to lose on all those issues anyway, right? So what, you know, to talk about uh, protecting the, the structures that make our society possible. Absolutely. And that's, that's a great question, because really what's happened here is that the radical extremist left have fig figured out a way to hack the way that Wall Street normally operates. Wall Street is supposed to operate on a fiduciary responsibility, whereas you give money to other people to manage it, and they act in your interests. Um, and they focus exclusively on making you the most amount of money that they can, you know, obviously within the bounds of law. What they've done here is figured out a way to insulate uh, a growing number of people on Wall Street from feedback in the system when they don't do that. And then that allows them to supplant their own personal politics for what should be focusing on, on a return. And so absolutely, it, it, the structures uh, that we're operating in matter immensely and it, it matters that there is, it continues to be feedback between the people who are, you know, in a sort of a technocratic position, they're overseeing, you know, things that don't belong to them and making sure that the people who it actually belongs to here, the, the actual shareholders, the pensioners of these states, that, that their interests are being served exclusively and not being sold out for sort of a, a technocratic elite that would, you know, just supplant their own judgment. Uh, in the place of people who they're supposed to be serving. So, the, the, you know, I know that you guys focus a lot on the Electoral College, and I think that is a similar situation where you people are pushing to sort of supplant a, a, a system that's supposed to uh, make sure that we have a feedback mechanism for every American, whether you live in New York City or California on a coast uh, in one of the big states, or you live in, you know, Wyoming, you have a say in the way that the country is run and not just having your voice silenced by a, sort of a hack of, of the way the structure is supposed to work. Yeah. So our last question, Will, is always the same on our Six Questions podcast. Who is your favorite founding father and why? That is a great question. Um, I would have to say Benjamin Franklin, but kind of for the opposite reasons that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people give him grief because he would change his mind quite a bit. And yeah. I think that um, uh, it, it, was it 
I think that in some ways that actually can be a, a virtue. Obviously, if someone's, you know, weak willed or, or spineless, that's not, you know, a good, a good thing. But certainly couldn't say that of Benjamin Franklin. But he was open minded. Um, and I think it served our country well to have somebody who was that influential, who was reading as much as he was, who was taking it as much as was, and was, was not getting becoming doctrinaire. And just like your previous question about, you know, understanding how the forms protect our freedoms and our prosperity, uh, I think we need to be flexible in thinking about ways in which they're being threatened. And I think Benjamin Franklin kind of was flexible in his thinking. He didn't get stuck in one, one mode of thinking. Yeah, I think that's great. You, you know, you're the first person on the podcast who has answered with Franklin, but I, I think that's great because he really, you know, I, I think people sometimes forget he was really a generation or even almost two generations older than a lot of the other founding fathers. And he was somebody that a lot of them looked to for, for wisdom, for guidance, who was, I think, kind of on the one hand, he was very open-minded. On the other hand, he provided that that kind of presence that helped to, right. you know, negotiate things behind the scenes and, mm -hmm. and keep things moving forward. Uh, doesn't always get the credit he deserves. That's, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that we got to talk a little Ben Franklin. He, he deserves it absolutely. And that, you bring up a great point. He was he was open-minded and flexible, and still consistently moving the country in the right direction. Yeah. I think that speaks a lot to, you, you know, you raise a great point in that he, he was equal parts flexible, but also consistent. And I think that, yeah. that served the country well. Well, uh, tell us how people can follow your work, uh, follow you on, on social media, wherever you are, uh, what, what do they need to do? Absolutely. Well, they can follow Consumers Research on Twitter at, at Consumers First. They can follow me at, at Will Hild, and they can visit us at consumersresearch.org. That's consumersresearch.org. And I will say if they would like to learn more about BlackRock uh, and some of the ways in which uh, that company is, is acting against their interests, they can vi visit uh, whoislarryfink.com. That's whoislarryfink.com. Excellent. Will Hild, Executive Director of Consumers Research, thanks so much for joining me on Six Questions. Thank you so much for having me, Trent. Yeah, thanks to all of our listeners and viewers. We'll be back next week with another Six Questions. Thanks for being a part of our uh, Save Our States family on social media, wherever you are. You know, the, the power that we have is really only through you taking our message and spreading it to your friends, your family, your contacts. Uh, we, we have got to continue defending our Constitution. You know, the Constitution doesn't defend us unless we defend it. And that's what we're all about at Save Our States. So thanks for being a part of it. We'll be back next week.